week, we'll, we're starting a series in the book of Jonah. And so today we're going to look at the first three verses of the first chapter of Jonah. If you are following along in one of the Bibles that are in the seats, either you were in or near you, um, that is on page 502. Just kind of like put a, if you can just remember, if you use one of these Bibles, just remember 502, because we're going to be on page 502 for a few weeks. Um, and we are going to read together um, the first three verses uh, of chapter one of the book of Jonah. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word as we read, starting at chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish um, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Tony, if you'll come up, and I will pray with you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, let's pray for my brother Tony um, today as he shares this word. Um, uh, let it, let it um, speak to our, our hearts and minds um, and remind us of the great love um, you have for us. Lord, uh, I just uh, lift up my brother as he preaches. Give him, um, give him strength, boldness, calm, whatever he needs um, as he preaches your word. Lord, we love you. We praise and send Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So I don't, I don't think any of us would be here today, like in this room, if on some level we didn't recognize that we have spiritual need. Is, is that a fair thing to say? Like, we don't get up in the morning on a Sunday and, uh, you know, wake up and get a shower and get out of the door and come to, come to this place without feeling a need for something. Um, if you look through the, the pattern of our lives, we're born and we grow up. You know, we, we, we play games as children. We learn. We eventually become adults. We get jobs. We work, sometimes we entertain ourselves, and then eventually some die, someday after we raise children and after we work, we die. We go away. And most of us get caught up in the day-to-day -day of stuff that we have to do. Today I've got to go shopping, today I've got to make sure I'm at work on time, today I'm meeting with a friend. We have a thousand things to do in the days of our lives. But every now and then, and we've talked about this before, we stop. Whether it's late at night when everything's quiet or whether it's an event that comes into our life and stops us cold, at some point in our life, we stop and we recognize that there has to be something more to all of this than working and eating and sleeping day after day. We have a spiritual need. Something is missing. Something is missing. And for many of us, we recognize something is missing most keenly when we see little hints of it in other people. Do you know what I mean? Like you meet someone 
who is just special. They live in a way, they act in a way that is unlike what you've experienced. They have a deeper hope. They have a deeper security. They're not as shaken by the things that come in life. They're special people. They have a grace that we don't have. And if you dig into those people, I don't, I don't know who this is for you, but I have two or three in my mind. They're like the little old ladies, right, that I met at church that just exuded the joy of the Lord. I don't know who these people were for you, but if you dig in to who they are and how they think, what you find out eventually is that they know God. And I don't mean that as in like they know about him. Like they can tell you who God is according to a quiz that you would give them. They don't just know about God, they know God. It's like whenever they talk about him, they can see him. Like he's right there in the room. And whenever they talk about how God's helped them through the things that have hurt, you can tell they're not making it up. It's not wishful thinking. It's not pretend. Many of us know we have spiritual need. We know that something is missing because we've seen people that have found it. We've recognized that they're just anchored in a way that we're not. And the, the question that often comes to me as I look at them and as I hear um, about their faith is how in the world did they get here? Sometimes you hear about the circumstances of their life and you think, how in the world did they get here? If I'd been through what they'd been through, I would probably curse God. How do we, friends, how do we get to a place where we know God? Where nothing's missing anymore. Keep that thought in the back of your head as we go through the text today. That's just where I want to start us. So we're going to dive into the text, starting in verse 1. We're just going to go through this verse by verse and, and draw out of the text what's there. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, dot, dot, dot. That's the end of the verse. It starts off with this phrase, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, this is a special kind of phrase that we see not only in the beginning of books of prophecy, but also at the beginning of individual prophecies throughout books of the Old Testament. They do two things. It identifies the prophetic nature of the person who's being spoken to. And so whenever it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah... It's a declaration that this man, Jonah, was special. He was set apart as a prophet for God, someone who was expected to speak for God and to act in such a way that would honor God. And so that's one thing it does. The second thing it does is, because it's at the beginning of this book, is it establishes the nature of the book that we're reading. It's not just that Jonah himself is a prophet, but 
this story about Jonah the prophet is in itself prophetic. It is meant to confront us as a word from the Lord. And so we see immediately that this, this Jonah, this prophet, has the spirit move upon him and speak to him. What a privilege. Anybody here uh, hit a spot in their life and they're not sure what they should do and wish that they would receive a word from the Lord? Here's Jonah, and I want us to see the privilege that he has. God gets right down and whispers in his ear in a way that most of us have never experienced. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah knew God. Enough that he could hear his voice. And what did God say? Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. And so Jonah is wherever he is, whether it's on his bed or whether it's in a, a moment of prayer or you know, whether he's shopping for groceries. He's in a place, the word of the Lord comes upon him, and there's a command, arise. It's a call to action. It's like saying, wake up. There's work to do. I have something for you. God and Jonah had a special relationship, and it wasn't just for Jonah's benefit. He was called to go out, to do something. And so God says to him, arise, wake up. And for a prophet, that's something that would hopefully be normal, right? If your job is being a prophet, then we would hope that you would expect to occasionally hear a call from the Lord to do something. And so, even though it's amazing to us that God would speak and, and say this to Jonah, it would have been normal for him. He was used to hearing the word of the Lord as much as anyone can be used to hearing it. But here's what was unexpected. He heard the word arise, but the next words were not like what a prophet would expect to hear. Go to Nineveh. Arise, go to Bethlehem. That's normal. Arise, go to Jerusalem. That's normal. Arise, go to this tribe. Arise, go to the king. Arise. That's all expected, but what Jonah hears is go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, as Rich kind of gave us in the overview last week, we know that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was a nation that had gone out and started to conquer other nations. And at this point in world history, Assyria's star was on the rise. They were booming. They were doing well. Israel was also doing well, but in all the glory and the goodness that the Israelites were experiencing in their time of growth, 
they heard news coming out of this nation to the Northeast. The Assyrians didn't know God. They didn't love God. And frankly, they, they weren't great respecters of the people they conquered. They would often sometimes allow the people they conquered to keep their religion, but there was no, no bowing down, no actual recognition of the goodness of that culture. It was just pragmatic to help with their rule. Israel, by the time that Jonah had come into this position, had probably already been harassed by Assyria. They were not allies. And we don't know exactly when the book of Jonah takes place, but if it takes place later in Jonah's life, then there's a good likelihood that Jonah had either received himself or heard prophecies from other prophets saying that Assyria was going to come down and just destroy everything, that God was going to use Assyria to judge the nation of Israel. And so God says, arise, go to Nineveh. He says, do it because their evil has come up before me. Uh, some of your translations might say trouble or calamity. The word evil here in the Hebrew actually allows for two different things. It could be the evil that Nineveh is doing. Does that make sense? So God hears about the evil that's in Nineveh, and he's like, you need to go prophesy against them. It could also be trouble that has come into the city of Nineveh. Um, we know that our God is not a God who is deaf to the suffering of people. Um, some people who read this and dig into it think maybe it was actually a combination of the two. Because of Israel's evil, they were reaping you know, they were reaping trouble. And so God says, go and speak to these people. Either way, whatever the specific evil is that we don't know, we don't know this, that we do know this, that Jonah was called to go and call out against them. He was to bring a message of rebuke. Repent. So here we are. This, this obscure prophet in a smaller country is called by God to go into the capital of the only world superpower at the time and to say to the people, including the king, repent. It's a scary thing to ask, but with God on your side? How did Jonah respond? Let's move on into verse 3. It says this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So do you see the beginning of the verse? Jonah arose, but did he arise to do what God asked him to do? No, so he got up, he heard the word arise, and he got up, but instead of going to Nineveh, it says he went down to Joppa. 
to flee to this place called Tarshish. Something in the command rattled Jonah. It rattled him. Now, it doesn't tell us here, but if we skip ahead a little bit to Jonah 4.2, we get a little bit of what that conversation between Jonah and the Lord was. So I think it'll be up on the screen. In Jonah 4.2, it says this, And he prayed to the Lord. This is after the Ninevites heard the, the rebuke and repented. It says, He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. There was a prejudice in Jonah. Whether it was because he was racist, he was a Jew and they were Gentiles, whether it's because he was angry at what Assyria had done in the past or was currently doing, or whether he was frustrated because he knew the future that would come, Jonah didn't want to preach repentance to these people because he was afraid they might actually repent. They might listen to him. And so we have a reason. We do know the reason that Jonah ran away. And we're going to talk more about the nature of this verse in, uh, in chapter 4 later, uh, later on in another sermon. But I do want to call attention to the fact that there was no, in the verses that are actually for us today, there was no immediate explanation. The text doesn't get into Jonah's argument with God. It doesn't get into the back and forth with him. The focus in our verses today is not on Jonah's reasons. It's not on his justification for running, to, running away, but it's rather on his actions. It's on what he actually did. Um we might, with Jonah, say, well, I can relate to the fact that you don't want to go help out the people who are going to conquer your country. Right? I get it. I understand why Jonah did what he did. But the focus here in the story is just on the ugliness of his response. God came to him, spoke to him, And he ran away. He fled. It says that he was fleeing to Tarshish. It actually repeats it three times, which makes it really fun for people reading the verse because that's a weird word to say in English. He went to Tarshish. He was going to Tarshish. To Tarshish. We're not sure about this word. Some people think it's an actual city. Um, the biggest theory is that it was somewhere over on the western coast of the Mediterranean around Spain if it was an actual city. But we have no knowledge today of if there was a city of Tarshish of where exactly it would have been. Um, the word literally means kind of like out to sea. That Jonah was going out to distant shores is another way that it's sometime rendered. Um, basically he was going to get as far away from the presence of God as he could get. If it took him going out into the middle of the ocean on a foreign shore, he was going to get away from God. But notice some of the language that we find in this verse. Um, so we, we have the command of God in verse 2 to arise, and it says that he rose, 
but then it says he went down to Joppa. And then he goes down into the ship. And so there's an image here of the command of God saying, Arise, Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to him full of life. And Jonah goes down. Oftentimes, whenever you see that Hebrew phrase, go down, it's not connected to a ship. It's not connected to a city. It's connected to the grave. People go down into the grave. And so there's an image here in this verse that not only was Jonah fleeing the presence of the Lord, but he was leaving the call towards life and pursuing something that only goes towards death. And then really the key words, I think, of this entire um, section is that he was going away from the presence of the Lord. Literally, he was fleeing from the face of God. And it's not that Jonah could escape God's omnipresence, right? That's the, that's the fancy theological word we have for the fact that God is everywhere. You can't, you know, it's like if God is in this place and then you go outside, no, he's gone now. Um, and Jonah would have known that. He wasn't somehow getting away from God. He was trying to get into a place where he wouldn't hear the voice anymore. He didn't want the spirit to whisper in his ear anymore. He didn't want to hear it. Jonah was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And what I kept coming back to as I read this verse is just how remarkable a thing that is. It's the very thing that you and I need to make it through this life. We need to know God, to be in his presence, to somehow be given the ability to approach him and see his face. The thing that's missing is the very thing that Jonah was running away from. Jonah had tasted a hint of what mankind lost in the garden. Do you hear what I'm saying? In the garden, Adam and Eve existed in perfect presence with the Lord, and then they, sin, they sinned, and they, they were kicked out, kicked out of the presence of the Lord. And Jonah had tasted a hint of what that must have been like out of the privilege of being a prophet. But, but he heard something he didn't like. He too distrusted God. And he too chose to go his own way. He made the same decision that Adam and Eve did. He fled. So how do we apply this to us? Jonah's been dead quite a while. What do we do with this part of the story? I want to say just a few things. First off, 
Um, life lived in the pursuit of happiness is unsatisfying. Um, if you don't know that yet, you will one day. Even if it's whenever you're like staring into the abyss. Life lived in the pursuit of happiness is unsatisfying. The American dream that most of us aspire to will distract us and it will betray us. And in the end, it'll leave us with nothing. We get a house, we get the money, and someday we're dead. And none of it goes with us. We need more. We need to experience God. We need his presence. Even if we don't know how to get into it, even if we're not sure we understand how to draw close to him or how to experience him, friends, we need it. And we have to acknowledge our need. And so this is where the good news comes in. We, we make it a point to mention the gospel every week because it's the reason we can have what we need. We're born and are sinners. We don't deserve to live in the presence of God. But God, through his grace, has made a way through Jesus to forgive us of our sins. That is the truth. God's attitude towards sin is anger and justice and wrath. And through Jesus, he makes a way where we can not only repent in our own feeble way, but in Jesus, he made a way for us to truly be reconciled, as if the sin was never there, as if we'd lived a perfect life just like Jesus. We need to experience God. We need his presence. And for us, that starts with coming to Christ, with believing in him, with trusting on him. Now, you may say to me, Tony, I do believe in Jesus. I do trust in him, but I don't feel close. Closeness is hard. I don't experience this presence of God that you talk about. I go to the same church as that special person that we talked about earlier. I see it in other people, but I don't feel it. Walk with God long enough. Pursue God long enough. Call out to God long enough. And eventually, you're going to hear things about yourself and about the world that don't fit in with what you understand. They don't fit in with your desires, what you want out of life. God will confront sin in you that you don't want him to confront. He'll show mercy to people that you think you should just judge. If you spend any time pursuing God, hear me on this, he is going to confuse you with his choices. 
things will happen in your life that will confuse you. And in the process, you're going to be forced to confront the ugliness that lives inside you. The same ugliness that lived inside Jonah, even though he was a prophet. And then you're going to be given a choice. You can arise to follow, or you can arise to flee. You can choose to embrace God in all his mystery, or you can reject him. Do you want to know how those special people in your life got to the place where they were anchored in the way that they were? It's because they chose to follow. Or it's because they fled and God chased them down. It's not because they were protected from the hard things or the confusing things. It's that they trusted Jesus through them. My prayer for us as a church family is that we would never flee God. Is that every time that we're confused we would just embrace him more and love him more and seek him more even when he offends us. But some of us, this is myself included at times, are going to reach a point of decision and we're, we're going to choose to follow Jonah. And I pray for us that God would show us radical grace. If we're in a place where we would flee him, then I pray that he would wreck our lives until we recognize how foolish we are. Because if we reach the end of our lives and we don't find that thing that we need, if we never experience his presence and learn to live in it, how tragic would that be? you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 